Good morning. Welcome. Welcome to church. It is great to see you all this morning. I trust everyone is well. Um, and I hope you're feeling welcomed here this morning. Just great to see you all. So many faces, people, friends, family. Um, and if it's new to you this morning, if this is your first time here this morning, I want to give you a special welcome and just say, listen, relax, enjoy the meeting. We are really, really glad that you came. Um, church is about growing, isn't it? Anyone kind of heard that? One of the things about church is about growing together. And um, I, I look back over, I've been coming to this church for 20 years now. And, and I've grown. I've grown in that 20 years. Me and my wife, um, she would say that I'm a competitive person when it comes to sport and activities and pretty much anything, to be quite frank. I'm really, really competitive. But you kind of learn, don't you, that, you know, you've got to mature and be less competitive. And, and me and Vicky went and we played badminton this week. We had a game of badminton together and I let her win. Come on, that's, that's growth, growth here, you know. So I let my wife win. And then last night, me and my boys and a few other friends, we went go-karting. Has anyone been to the go-karting place just over the other side? If anyone's not been, it is well worth going. It is fantastic. It's really good. I've been there before. One of my passions is driving. I love anything to do with driving and generally driving fast. Okay, so we, we get to the track and I've got my two 14-year-old boys with me and there's a few other people as well and some other friends and stuff like that. And we kind of, we, we've got, we basically got three kind of goes at it, you know, about, I think, 10 laps each time. So we, we, we all got in our gear and everything set up and they went through all the safety stuff and everything like that. And then the helmet went on. And I just had this picture in my mind of the Stig with the black helmet. Anyone know what I'm on about? The Stig off Top Gear. I'm, I'm like, I'm imagining myself, I'm the Stig. I can see my own eyes protruding through the helmet. I've got my race eyes on and I'm ready I'm, and I'm in the go-kart and we're off. And these, this is a big track, by the way. It's not like this little kids thing. This is like a kind of quarter mile track and you're doing like 30 mile an hour. And we're getting round and we're racing round and we went round the first time and then we, we got to the end and you get all these lap times and everything. So I'm looking at them and, and I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. I'm not winning, but I'm doing okay. I think that's down to because some of them were, were really small. Our Adam's like tiny. So I think he's got an advantage there. And I think some of the ones who are a bit smaller, I think obviously the weight makes a difference. That's what I'm guessing anyway. But anyway, so I looked at Adam and Joshua and I'm looking at their times and I'm thinking, boys, you're slow. I, I'm, you know, what, what's going on here? You, you, you need to go faster. And I'm like, you know, off the pace, slow. So I'm having a chat with them and saying, are you nervous, boys? And, and Adam's like, well, yeah, first time I've been. And I'm like, like giving him the pep talk, the dad talk. You know what I mean? Just get out there, son. No fear. Give it everything. Don't worry if you come off. There's tires around. It'll all be fine. You'll be absolutely safe. Everything will be okay. So we went round for the second go. And, and there's a point. There's this guy. And, and he's in front of me. And, and I'm like, I'm racing him. And I'm trying to get past him. And then there's this point. We come around this bend. And I saw my opportunity. And I went past him. And it was side by side. And I've got the racing line. And I'm thinking, well, I'm just taking it. What you do is your issue. And so I got through and got through the racing line and then came round until I came round to the next, kind of come round the lap again and there's red flags. 
going to tell us to stop. And I notice that it's my son, Adam, who I've taken off. He's literally gone into the tires that they're on top of his go-kart. And he's like covered in all these tires. And I'm the one who's done it to him. <laughs> There's a little more to learn really, isn't there? I'm getting there. But I, I've always been a, a, a competitive person. And, but you do learn, don't you? Being part of a church, you, it knocks the edges off you, doesn't it? You learn the kind of do's and don'ts and what you should and you shouldn't be doing. And I was thinking about the sermon this morning. And we're in the middle of a sermon series this morning. Um, and the series is on Bible characters and what made them so special. What was it about? Anyone who knows who reads the Bible, God speaks through people. The Bible, if you think about it really, I, I always think about the Bible and I think God could have written it literally. Everyone, if, if you spoke to someone in the street who didn't know the Bible and maybe you're in here this morning and you've never read the Bible and you don't know what's in it and you would immediately, people's minds would go to things like the Ten Commandments. Yeah, Sermon on the Mount maybe, you know, to do this and do unto others and all these different things. But actually, they're really small parts of the Bible because the majority of the Bible is actually made up of stories of people. It's literally about people, their relationship with God. And that's actually how God teaches us. We read the stories of those people. It's an, it's a, an incredibly, well, an incredibly honest book. It is a completely honest book. Everything about it, God doesn't hide the frailties and the mistakes of his people, even the people that he calls his chosen people, even the people that God holds up as shining examples uh, that we should follow, he still shows us their mistakes and where they get it wrong. Now, the Bible character I've got this morning, character is not the right word, so forgive me, I, we, I was, you know, kind of had a part in picking who we were going to do, but I didn't choose who was going to get it until I found out I've got Jesus. So I'm doing Jesus this morning. I mean, no pressure here, right? But I've got, as, as my wife said, the big man. I'm not quite sure whether that's right, calling him the big man. But anyway, I've got Jesus. So I'm kind of thinking about, okay, how? Because I, I don't think I could truly describe Jesus. I, I couldn't do it. I, I don't know how I could get up here in 30, 35 minutes and really explain him to you and do it justice. I don't think that's actually possible. So I'm praying and I'm saying to God, okay, God, I, I, what do I do? What do I draw out here? And I'm, I'm reading the word and I'm, I'm just researching and I'm praying and I'm looking. And, and a, a few things came to mind um, of, of outcomes that I felt would be good for this, for this meeting. The first one, if you're a Christian in this place, you'll know what this phrase means, is salvation. I thought it might be good if some people heard this message and thought, hey, I, I would like Jesus to be my saviour. Because that's one of the things he's described in the Bible. I'm being right up front here about what I, I, you know, I'm looking for. The other one is who he really is. And that's where it's really difficult because I'm thinking, I, flipping out, I, I don't know how I could describe him. I, I'll be honest with you. I'll stand up here and say, I don't know how I could literally describe. I could have a go at it. I could spend 40 minutes. But there's no way. How could you describe Jesus in 40 minutes? That is literally impossible. That is not. You just can't do it. But the final one, the third outcome that I really felt, and this is the, the big one, is this. How to know him personally. How you can know him personally. Anyone heard it spoken about that we are not religious, we have a personal relationship with God? Anyone ever heard that phrase banded about in churches? Anyone ever said that phrase? Yeah, 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 we kind of said that. Anyone know where that is in the Bible? 
you know, it's not in there, is it? There's not a, you can't find a verse that says, oh, you know, you've got to have a personal relationship with God. We are not religious. Now, however, you, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, so aren't we? No, of course we are. Of course God wants us to have a personal relationship with him. If you think about it, if you go right back to the very beginning, right back to right at the start of man, not of God, because God has no beginning, the Bible tells us. But if you go to the beginning of man, the first creation of man, of Adam and Eve in the garden, and the Bible says this, that God walked with them in the garden. He was in the garden with them. In fact, when they sinned, when they took the the one thing, I find it incredible that God gave them one thing not to do. Anyone ever messed up and felt guilty? Yeah, anyone? Yeah, one thing, literally one thing you can do. He pretty much said, you can do anything you want. This place, it's all yours. Do anything you want except that tree right there in the middle. It's not even like it was hidden in a corner where you could mistake it for something else. It was the one tree right in the middle. He said, don't eat the fruit of that. We all know what he did. The one thing. And even at that point, when God reappears, maybe that evening, and, and he's, he, he's, he's, he comes out and he's like, obviously God knows what's going on. He's not daft. But he's like, where are you? Where are you, Adam? Where, where are you, Eve? Where are you? God wants to have a relationship with you. Does anyone understand that? Do you get that? He wants to have a relationship with you. There's no doubt about that right from the very, very beginning. But what you see through the Bible is that what happens is that sin causes us to hide from God. You remember when you were a kid and you messed up and you were naughty and, and you didn't want to go home and see your mum and dad. Anyone done that? Anyone had that kind of feeling? Yeah. Any parents in the house and you know you've, your kids have been feared of seeing you? I'm getting to that, to that stage now where there's times when I know my kids, they don't want to see me because they've done wrong and they're kind of hiding and you, you catch them out and stuff like that. But the thing, what you see is that man messes up, women mess up, kids mess up, we all mess up. It happens at some point, and then basically God makes a way. God makes a way. And ultimately, one of the major things about Jesus, he was the way. He was the way back to God. This is not my major point this morning, but it is the major point of Jesus and, and who he is. And you'll understand why, what my major point is and why I, I feel this is the right point to bring. But what the major point of Jesus is that he is the ultimate way. You see, in, at the very beginning when they messed up, there needed to be a sacrifice. There had to be a price paid for what they did wrong. For my kids, my boys, it's dead easy. They lose the Xbox for the day. Or if they've been really bad, they lose the Xbox for the week. It's easy when the kids, isn't it? Apart from the arguments and the battle, and, and then they come to you and try and convince you that you shouldn't and how terrible you are as a dad because you've took the Xbox off. But anyway, that's another matter. Don't we do that with God as well? Yeah, I think we do. But you see it time and again. That, that In the beginning, it was okay. So you've messed up. So you, you, you make a sacrifice to put it right. But the major point of Jesus, he was prophesied right from the very beginning that he was going to be the one and only for all time sacrifice for all sin anywhere everyone's sin that's it completely and utterly covered no need no need to make a sacrifice no need to go and put it right he literally says this just believe in him trust in him put your faith in him and you are you're washed clean 
whiter than white. If you were in a few weeks ago, I was talking about scars and healing, and, and I was talking about, I've got a scar on my hand, and, and how anyone had a scar in where it's sore to the touch or an injury, and, and you can't like maybe walk on it, or it's difficult. There comes a point, though, doesn't there, where the scar heals. But here's the thing, this scar is still there. It's still there, the scar's not gone, but I can touch it and it doesn't hurt. There's no sting to it. And it's not that God removes what you've done. It's not that you didn't do the thing that you did wrong. It's still there, but there's no more penalty. The price is paid. Does that sound good to anyone? Come on. And I've not even got into the major point yet. That's pretty, it's not a bad start really, is it? But time and again, you see this pattern and you even see it today, even though we have Jesus, what happens is sometimes we forget. Sometimes these thoughts come in that, well, I've messed up and maybe I'm not good enough and that maybe I can't come back or all these kind of things. But here's the truth of it. it doesn't, there, was no, there was no criteria on the sin. It wasn't like Jesus paid the price for these sins, but not these ones. With me? Yeah? It was all sin, all time for anyone that all may be forgiven. Freed, freed, we sang it earlier in one of the songs, didn't we? It was, I forget the words, but it was basically the gist of it was saying we're free. We're no longer chained or we're no longer in prison. We are free, free, we're free, we're free. We don't have to work to earn our salvation. It's done. It means we can relax and we're free to just be Christians, not worrying about making mistakes, not worrying about getting it wrong. Now, hold on. That doesn't mean that we should just go and do what we want. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying we should just go out and steal and do all of these kind of things. Clearly, that would be ridiculous. But what I'm saying is when, not if, when, come on, when, when we do, when we mess up, when we get it wrong, we are forgiven. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. We should never tire of hearing those words. We are forgiven. But what is the major point? Ephesians 4, 13 says this is, this will continue. I'll talk about what it is in a minute. Until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. You know, isn't this what so many, so many of us are after? Isn't this what so many of you come and you say, how can I be a mature Christian? How can I get it right? How can I be what I should be? How can I measure up to the standard? Listen to these words. Until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son. So the, the, one of the points of Ephesians, what Paul, the writer of this book is Paul. One of the points of what he's talking about here is, is us coming into the knowledge of God's Son, Jesus how can we know him? Isn't that the point of this message this morning? Talking about Jesus and who he is. So this is a great way to, to a great place to look. It says, then, then when we come into that knowledge of God's son of Jesus, then we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ, the full and complete, the fullness of Christ, another translation puts it. 
the fullness of Christ. This is one of the major goals of a Christian, is to come in to the fullness of Christ. So the question then becomes, how? How do we come into that fullness of Christ? How do we come to that point where we know Him, we understand Him, and we measure up to Him? Where we can literally stand there and stand tall, not having to cower or worry about what we've done or who we are or how we are. Does anyone want that? Come on. How many? How many of you have come and said, how do we do that, Barry? How do we do that, Vicky? How do we do this? And you can see why. Listen, it, it goes on in verse 14. And some of you, you know, some of you in here this morning, the first point of verse 14, some of you feel immature. Some of you feel like, well, I'm not a mature Christian. I don't really, I couldn't go to a life group and maybe sit there and, and explain God's Word or, or sit and talk about God's Word because I don't know enough of it. I, I don't feel like I'm a mature Christian. I sit and listen to people preaching and I could never do that. I don't really know that kind of stuff. Do you know, for any of you who don't go to a life group, can I encourage you to go to a life group? We have midweek groups. It is, it is a thing that all churches have done for all time that are proper churches that you, it's not just enough to meet together on a Sunday. That's not enough. It's not enough to be a Christian and just come to church on a Sunday and that's it and, and feel better. We have midweek groups as well. But I know that some of you are concerned about going to them because you feel like, well, if I go there, I'm going to be shown up. Everyone's going to realize that he doesn't know this or he doesn't know that. I want to tell you, you don't have to say anything in a life group. I've been to some of these life groups. There's always someone in there who wants to just talk and go and... <laughs> come on. Anyway, yeah? Yeah. You're laughing because I'm right. Tony laughed the loudest. <laughs> I heard you. <laughs> Point one of verse 14 says, Then we will no longer be immature like children. Knowing Christ, knowing what Paul's getting at here, the fullness of Christ, knowing him, immediately the Bible says this, you don't have to work to be mature, you will then no longer be immature like children. Second point is, some of you feel like a, a ship in the midst of a storm. You feel like you're being blown about. You feel like every wave that comes take you, takes you off in another direction. When a wind, strong wind comes, that takes you off in another direction. And you feel like you're just kind of blown about. You may be not a stable person. You maybe can't get the anchor down. You maybe can't just get a, a good run of just being who you are. So easy for something just to come in. You, you start well and everything's going fine and suddenly something comes along and it just it takes your legs from under you. And suddenly you, you kind of, you're gone and you're like, I just, I, I, how do I get over that? How do I stop these things from getting in my way and, and stopping me? Second point of verse 14 says this, says, we won't be tossed and blown. This is when we come into the fullness of Jesus and who he really is. It says this, we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. In other words, when someone comes along with some great advice, that, you know, the, the next fad diet, it's a bit like that, isn't it, when you're trying to lose weight and, and this fad diet comes along, so you go for that and then this fad diet comes along and you just feel like you're going from one diet to the next to the next and really all you want to do is you just want to get a, a healthy, balanced diet going and, and a healthy exercise regime and you just want to have that consistency. Isn't that the goal? Isn't that the goal with weight? Yeah? 
Surely then it's the same in our Christian walk. Surely that's a good metaphor for that. Rather than the next great thing, just having that stability, that, that measured growth where we're making progress, where you can look back and say, I'm not the same person I was a year ago. I'm not the same person I was six months ago, let alone a year ago or five years ago. And the third point, some of you in here have been abused. And, and that could take many, many forms. You've been tricked. Someone's come along and they've tricked you. They've taken advantage of you. And the Bible says this. Paul says this. The third thing, when you come into that fullness of God, he says this. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Does that sound like good news? I think it does. Sounds like good news to me. And it goes on to say, instead, we will speak the truth. When you truly know Jesus and who he really is deep down, it says this, we will, not we might, not sometimes, but we will. We will speak the truth in love. Truth, knowing truth, what's right and wrong in any situation. That sounds incredible to me. That sounds, that sounds like the goal. That sounds fantastic. That sounds like the best you could possibly have. To know the right thing to do in every single situation. To know the truth and grow more and more like Christ. You know, when I first became, in fact before, I, my first experience of God. I've shared this before. Some of you have heard this before. But I, I didn't grow up as a Christian. I, I grew up in a non-Christian home. I know some of you have had great backgrounds where you've had godly parents and godly families and, and you can look back on that and say that, you know, you probably, a large reason for your, of who you are today is because of that, that you had that influence, that good, wholesome family environment that you were in that's really matured you and helped you. Doesn't mean it's perfect, doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes and get it wrong, but you know it's given you a great platform for the rest of your life. A good start. I didn't have that. I, I kind of just, you know, tried to find my own way. And then I, I got to being about 21, 22, and, and I, I, I had an experience of God. And it was, it was a life-changing experience of God. The person that wrote this book, Ephesians, the, the guy who wrote it is called Paul. The, the, many people refer to him as. And that means he's a church builder. That means he's a leader of leaders. And he had this experience where he was, he was determined to go out. He wanted to kill Christians. He wanted to wipe them off the map. He wanted to quash this new religion, this new teaching that was going around. And he was so, it says he was murmuring. He was breathing threats against these Christians. It tells us in Acts around about chapter 9. I think it is the beginning of chapter 9. And Paul goes, he goes off to the leaders of the synagogues and he says, give me letters, give me authority to go and to round up these Christians and to bring them back, basically so we can slaughter them, so we can quash this. And, and he's, he's off, he gets the letters and he's off. He's off to Damascus, he's on this road and he's got an army with him, a small army with him. He doesn't need a big army because he's got the authority there. And literally on his way, he, he must be planning and thinking about how he's going to round up these Christians and how he's going to, and you know what? That was me. 
I may not have had letters of authority, but if I'd have seen a Christian and it had been legal, I'd have liked to have, I don't know, I'd have, I hated them. I literally, that might sound like a terrible, I, I hated Christians. There was, there was an anger within me towards Christians. I, I can't, that could, it wouldn't be right to stand up here and lie. That was the truth. That was how I felt. And, and so I understand it when I come across people who hate Christians. I'm like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> I understand that. I don't have a problem with that. I used to be like that. And Paul, it says he had this experience. And, and, and literally the Lord spoke to him. Now, my experience wasn't quite as dramatic as Paul, but I did have a, a, an experience nonetheless. It was a moment and I just, this, this awareness, this, this sudden awareness of God that just changed my life forever and I've never changed since. This was going back to 1996, 1997. So we're on about 20-odd years now. And, and I spent the first two years, I never set foot in a church, right? And the reason why I never set foot in the church was because my experience of church and what I knew of church, I, I just thought to myself, they don't seem to know what I know. I, I've got this kind of relationship with God and he's like, it's like he's my mate. It's like he's just, you know, I kind of just know him. And, and you know, when you go into church and you hear these formal prayers and, oh, Lord. You know, and, and this, have you heard that, that this voice comes on them, doesn't it? it, it they have this, this, this voice that comes upon them. And they start speaking with this voice. And you, you know what I'm on about. And, and so I'm like, that, that, I don't speak like that to God. I just chat with him, like in my Scouse accent and stuff, you know. And, and it's fine. He seems to, I wouldn't say God chats back in his Scouse accent. Cause, but hey, you know what I'm saying. And so for two years, I wouldn't set foot in a church. I never went near a church. And here's the thing. Here's the experience of those two years, right? I knew God for those two years. But my life was in a mess. My life was in an absolute mess. I talked about the go-karting, right? I, I, I got to a point where I had 12 points on my driving license. I was going to Glastonbury and doing all kinds of things that I shouldn't be doing. And my life was in a mess. I was taking drugs, top-end drugs, you name it. I was doing all of that, and I was addicted. I was, I was addicted to drugs. It's not unfair to say I was addicted to drugs. And I actually had been for about seven years, from being about 16. And so my life was in a mess. You wouldn't necessarily have known it, but I came to a point where I, I, I knew. Now, in my understanding, I thought, I thought like I need to go to a confessional or something. I just got to a point where I thought, I, I, just, I just knew I need to speak to someone else who knows God. I need some help here. Because I, 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 two years I've been at this, and it, it ain't getting any better. I kind of still know him, and I still feel his presence and everything, but this ain't getting any better. My life, it, it, it looks, to the, on the outside, it looks like it's going well. And it did, and some aspects of it were getting better, but there was some underlying stuff that wasn't, and I knew I needed to sort it out. And I, I rocked up to the church, no word of a lie, it, it, it was a different building, it was over near the town centre, I pulled up, I sat outside the church about 20 minutes before, I rolled a joint, I had a spliff, and then I went in, I'm sorry Steve, but I, I'm just going to be honest and use the language, that's what I did. And, and that's what I'd been doing uh, maybe three or four times that day already, because that was just my day. So I, I walked in, no one would have known I'd, I'd done that, because I, that was kind of like normality. It was a bit like an alcoholic, where you wouldn't necessarily know they were drinking unless you smelt the breath or, you know. And I walked in, and I sat at the back, I had a suit on, I had a, a three-piece suit on. I was working, I had a good job, I had a nice car, 
I was kind of starting to do well. I was making really, really good money in the job I was doing. So it wasn't like everything was going badly. And I sat at the back. I sat at the back of the church. And I sat there. And I listened to the message. And, and this appeal came. And I never had done that when you sat there and you're like that. Thinking, hey, this is me. He's talking to me. How does he know? Does this guy, someone talk to this guy? How does he know me or something? What, what's going on? How does this guy know? I'm sat at the back and, I, and I'm praying and I'm saying, God, is this you? I just want to know truth. Is this you? Is this really you? And I knew it was. And, and, and this appeal came. And, and this guy asked people to come forward. I'm sat on like, there's no way. You're having a laugh. I ain't get standing up there in front of all these people and walking forward. I wouldn't do that. So I waited till the end. of meeting had been over. And I sneaked over and had a chat with the minister and, and, and said a prayer and went off. And I never went back. Didn't go back. I wanted to go back. I planned to go back. I didn't go back. And, and, and the following week came, and, and I don't know why, I can't remember now, it was 20 years ago, but I didn't go back. And then what I do remember is this, I can't remember the first week why I went back, but what I can remember is that as the weeks went on, it got harder and harder to go back, as much as I wanted to, because I, I kind of felt like, oh, they'll all think, well, what about him? He came once and never came back again. So I felt like I can't go back there now. I came once and then didn't go back. How can I do that? And then five weeks later, I think it was, I got a phone call. And it was actually my now wife who, who so, so talked to the minister to phone me up. She didn't know. She just said, hey, did you, anyone chase up that lad who came? And, and he, uh, she obviously fancied me, didn't she? That's, you know. <laughs> she says not. I'm not so sure. But anyway. <laughs> and I got this phone call. And, and I can remember it was in the days when you could drive with a mobile phone to your ear. And I'm, I'm going round and round about in the middle of town. And I'm literally, I've got the phone here. And I'm going round and round about with one hand. I've probably got a cigarette hanging out the other, out, out my mouth as well at the same time. And I got this phone call and, 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 I'm, and I was like bowled over by it. And I've never looked back since. I came to the church and I just threw myself into it. Now, why am I telling you all that story? Why am I telling you all that? Well, for two reasons, really. Number one is because it makes the point of what Paul is talking about. And number two is because... I can stand up here and I can say that's real because I know it. it's my experience. It's literally what happened to me. It's the truth of what happened to me. Probably not all of it, but certainly it's not any lies and none of it is a, a, a deception. But listen to this. Ephesians 4, verse 15, he says, Who, and this is Christ he's talking about, Christ is the head of his body, the church. Think about this for a moment. Christ is the head of his body body, the church. The point of this message is that you know Christ in his fullness, that you really deep down know him. Christ is the head of his body, the church. Anyone heard me go on about the church ain't a building? It's the people. Listen again. It says this, it says, he, Jesus, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. You don't need to worry about where you fit or how you're going to fit or how you're going to find your place. Jesus does that. He sorts that out because he's the head. We're the body. He's the head. You know, my wife used to work in A&E and she used to say, she's always said to my boys they could never ride a motorbike because she used to see people come in from motorbike accidents and the body would come in and then the head would come in later and that's a bit gruesome. But the point I'm making here is if a body's separated from the head, it's game over, isn't it? The two, for there to be life, 
the two have to be connected. As soon as that happens, the game is over. Jesus is the head. We, we are the body. We are the body. How? How do we know him? He says this, he says, as each part does its own special work, each part, no matter what it is you do, no matter what your part is, you are part of the body if you are in Christ. If you're a Christian, you have a place in the body of Christ, your unique place where no one else can fit. I can't fill your place for you. And you can't fill my place. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This is Jesus. This is who he truly is. This is him. This is him united. This is who he is. If you want to know Jesus, the point I'm making is this. If you are not a part of the church, you can never truly know Jesus in his fullness. The only way you can ever truly properly know Jesus, you can be saved. You can go to heaven by not going to church. You don't go to heaven. You don't find your salvation by working for it, by ticking up enough boxes in the church calendar of how many your attendance and all of that stuff. Not that we do that. Honestly, we don't. You can't work your way by coming. But you can't know him by not coming. You can't know him fully by not coming to church. Because as much as you might look around at the church and go, it's a bit of a mess, isn't it? I agree with you. It is a bit of a mess. It's a lot of a mess. It ain't perfect. But neither was the entire Bible. Neither was any single character in the Bible. In fact, the only person in the whole of the Bible that was perfect, that was spotless, that never put a foot wrong. Have you guessed it? Is it up there? He's the only one. He's the only one. But he's the head. He's the head. He's the head. It's secure. Me and Paul touched this on. We did. It is secure, isn't it, Paul? He's the head. He's the head. I want to kind of swing off it. It's not that secure, though. I better not do that. Ephesians, let me go back a bit because we started with then. Listen, at the beginning of this book, Paul says this. I'm I'm only going to pick a couple of verses. There's not the time to do too much. He says, now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. The church is a mess because God wants everyone in it. Not that we can stay a mess, but we can grow together. That we can grow together. But it's God's plan. The church is God's plan. If you don't believe me, if you're looking for a verse, I can't give you one. What I can give you is the entire Bible. Because the whole of the Old Testament was all about Jesus. It was all talking about him. Jesus, when he came, he came to establish the church. 
And then the whole of the New Testament, apart from the four books that are written about Jesus and what he did, in which he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Then the rest of the New Testament is all written to the church. The rest, every single book in the New Testament was written to the church. There's a clue in there, isn't there? God wants us together, united, together, growing together, building together. I wish I could describe him to you. I wish I could describe him better. But there's not enough time. And I'm not good enough a preacher to do that. Verse 23, and the church is his body. He says it again. The church is his body. We are Christ. In another place it says we're the bride of Christ. There's a, there's a great story about Isaac and, and Abraham sets his, his top servant on a mission to go in. And, and I love the title of the chapter, A, a, a Bride for Isaac. And, and he sets him on this mission to go and find a bride for Isaac. And you can see that love from the father looking, going to find that, that bride for his son. We are that bride for Christ. That's us. God the father, he wants us united with Christ together, not as individuals out doing our own thing, but together, united as one body, one body, one body, united in him. Nothing more powerful than the church. The reason Jesus has left and he's still not here now is because he's handed it over to us. We are his hands and feet as so many people have put it before me. It says, and the church is his body and it is made full and complete by Christ. So if you're thinking, if you're feeling like inferior or insecure or not worthy or not good enough or, well, I don't know if I could be Christ. I don't know if I could be part of this grand thing, the, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. How can I do that? I'm only going to drag this church down. I used to think that. I remember literally not, not that long and I'm thinking, I, I don't know if I can carry on going. I, I'll mess it up. Like, that, if you think about it, how arrogant is that? That me, I could mess it up. The church, you can't mess a church up. You can try, but you won't. Because it's God's, it's his, the Father, it's his, chosen for his bride, or sorry, as his bride for his son. How incredible is that? You can rest assured, you can't mess this place up. You can't mess any of this up. This is God's plan. He's got it. He's got it. He's got you. It's all sorted. We can't mess it up. And it is full and complete by Christ, made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere and himself. And I really wish, perhaps we could get ready for the audio. Perhaps, Adam, you, could, you guys could get ready to come back up. I really wish I could describe him to you, but I can't. But there is a piece of audio that I want to play to you. The, I just sit back and relax and listen to it because this, this is a famous piece of audio. Many of you will have heard it before, but the essence of what I'm saying is this, right? And even this guy, as great as he is at describing Jesus, 
and who he is. All the books in the world couldn't do it. If you want to know Jesus and who he really is, get yourself planted. Get yourself a part of the church and you'll really know God and who he is. Run VC. The Bible oh, he says to say that. he's a king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is a lord of lords. Now that's my king. David said the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoulder supply. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessings. Well, well, he's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in high criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. And that's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He starves God and he dies. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. Hallelujah. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? Well, my king is a key of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. He's a master of the mighty. He's a captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. And he's the lord of lords. That's my king. Yeah. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. 
His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, I wish I could describe him to you, but he, he's indescribable. He's indescribable. Yeah. He, he's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you, the heavens of heaven cannot contain him, let alone a man explaining him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Yeah. He always has been, and he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor, and he'll have no successor. There was nobody before him, and there'll be nobody after him. You can't even teach him, and he's not going to resign. That's my Here's the key. And the power and the glory.